Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. David has a, a word uh, for this region, for the city. He's, he's moving in a prophetic anointing. And if you were at the first service, you just felt, you know, what God is, is, is releasing. And uh, I just, I just want to throw in there, there's a restoration of the fear of the Lord in the midst of this outpouring of God. And it's, it is changing everything. So let's just receive David in the, in, with, with what God is doing. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift that David is to the body of Christ. We receive him and bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. It's good to be with you today at Life Center in New York City. And uh, I, I love this city. I love this church. And uh, what I love about it is the presence of God's here. And uh, I, I came into New York City this morning, and I felt the presence of God. And what I, I love about the presence of God, the presence of God really isn't a feeling. It's not a goosebump. It's not even praying in tongues. It's not falling on the floor. But the presence of God is a person, and his name is Jesus. And uh, Jesus loves this city. He actually gave his life for this city and, uh, and knows that you're worth it. And I, I believe we're really in a season where the Lord, I had this vision uh, this morning of the Lord sitting on the edge of his seat. Sitting on the edge of his seat. like the, the, There is an expectation that the Lord is releasing in the house, in the city, and in the earth right now. And it's beyond our own expectation. It's beyond our own measure of faith. I believe it's the expectation of heaven, the Father's expectation of how he wants to move. I believe we are in a season of revival, but how many know a wrong definition will take you to a wrong destination? Sometimes we hear the word revival and we think it's extended meetings, and it can be. But how many know it would be horrible for God to move in a church without moving in my family? Right, like I believe that the Lord does want to move in a church, but He doesn't want to contain it in a church. He actually wants it to spill into the streets. He wants it to be around our table. He wants it to be in our home, uh, and, and I believe the Lord's really doing that. And so, uh, I have a friend a little north of here, up in Connecticut, and uh, he was believing for revival. I was going up there, and uh, and he was believing for revival, and he actually. For whatever reason, he just told the Lord he wasn't going to cut his hair until revival came. He should have talked to his wife about that because maybe she didn't. But, but, but he's like, I'm not going to cut my hair uh, till revival comes. Some of you wish you had hair to cut uh, or, or not to cut, right? But uh, I, it's the glory. The glory of the Lord's resting on you, bro, just like right there. Uh, it's either the light or the glory and the light of his glory, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, and... <clears throat> And I, I remember being with him, and, and this had been like a congregational church. Uh, and uh, on a Sunday night, Holy Spirit fell. I was just, just talking. wasn't even talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or, and, and Holy Spirit fell, and like 75 people instantaneously started speaking in tongues. And, and I remember somebody came up to him and said, now you can cut your hair. Uh, and, and he said, I don't know about that. And, and the, the truth was he, he couldn't define what he was looking for. And can I tell you, sometimes we think it's a feeling, sometimes we think it's a meeting, sometimes we think it's a miracle, sometimes we think it's a healing. Some, uh, and in fact, the true revival is this. 
a great man of God named Leonard Ravenhill defined revival as this. When God is so tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. And that's what we're watching happen. The, the Lord is stepping into a place, and, and He's just showing up Himself. Uh, he, he's showing up. How many know Jesus doesn't need an explanation? He, he comes in the demonstration of the kingdom. He demonstrates, then He teaches. He teaches, then He demonstrates. And the reason I'm saying that is oftentimes we're looking for something you already have. You're actually waiting for something to come, but what you're waiting for is already on the inside of you. Jesus is revival. I, I love the buzz in the air. I love the excitement. I love what's happening in college campuses around America and churches right now and houses of prayer. I, I believe the Lord's cultivating that. He's celebrating that. But, but can I tell you something? Something happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, right? And, and they determined it was too good to keep it in the room. It was too good to just have another bless me meeting. It was too good to just speak in tongues, one and done. They said, hey, everybody else has to experience this. I, 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 wanna under, I want you to understand something today. We're in a very unusual, peculiar season. And, and I love everybody going to, uh, go, going to Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2. And I think it's right. But, but here's where we start. We go, uh, and, 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 and the, the Lord will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will have dreams. Young men will have visions. Right? And, and we go straight to the outpouring. But do you know, in, in Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, there's a word that comes before, I will pour out my spirit. It says, and afterwards. Yeah. And afterwards, I'll pour out my what is preceding it? I believe that every move of God is preceded by unity. And it's not about one purpose. It's not about we're, we're in unity about revival. We're actually one heart over one purpose. It's actually answering the prayer of Jesus when he said, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Here, here's what happens. We, we actually get rid of our preference I, I remember when I got radically saved. I, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be a recovering Calvinist. I was raised in a, in a Calvinist church. So, um, you know, I, I, liked, I liked the fact that I had a, an order of worship in a bulletin every Sunday. They told me when to stand up, when to sit down. They told me what to pray, what responsive reading to go after, right? I, I knew when we were going to begin and end. Because uh, you only had an hour, right? <clears throat> and, and so um, so I knew that, and that was my church experience. I, I was an unbelieving believer, really. I had an encounter with God in, in, on January 17, 1997. Uh, just so you know, I lost my mind to find God's heart. Uh, I actually uh, was, was a, a paranoid schizophrenic and, and an alcoholic, and I was out of my mind most of the time. But I had a mother who knew the Lord her whole life, and, and she never gave up praying for me. I, I always say it like this, that, that we, me and my siblings put my mom through hell, and she prayed us out of it, right? And, and that's a powerful, powerful testimony. But on January 17, 1997, uh, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'd walked through a divorce. Uh, I was, uh, my life was a mess. Uh, I didn't have any value. I didn't have any identity. 
And so I took 250 prescription pills, a bottle of gin, a 12-pack of beer, and I laid to die or so I laid down to die or so I thought nobody knows how it happened, but I ended up at a church 12 miles away from where I was living in front of a pastor his first day out of seminary. Uh, he wasn't even the real pastor. He was the interim pastor. The, the, the real pastor left. They were waiting for the next real pastor, and he was just the poor guy kind of holding it together. Uh, it was his practice run, you know. Uh, and he's unpacking boxes, and I dropped dead in his office. And um, uh, he didn't know what to do, so he calls the ambulance. And after about three, five minutes, they, three to five minutes, they, they resuscitated me. I spent two and a half days in a coma. At the end of those two and a half days, they got a hold of my mother, uh, and they said, you might as well forget you ever had this son. He won't live. If he does live, he'll be a vegetable the rest of the days of his life. He won't walk, talk, feed himself, care for himself. And basically, they wanted my mom to just sign me over to the state. Uh, and my mom, uh, with the doctor still on the phone, put the phone to her chest and said, Satan, you can't have my son. And God, I don't know how you do what you do, but I'm asking that you make my son a miracle. I, believe, I, I named him David because I always believed he'd be my little shepherd boy. And Lord, I don't even know how you do what you do, but I'm asking that you make my son a miracle. And about that time, a bright light came in the room. Jesus revealed himself to me. Yeah. And, and I just prayed this, this prayer. God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. And he said, I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Where we go, lives we touch and change. I had a personal revival. Here, here's what revival is. You're dead, and now you're alive. You're dead, and now you're alive. So if you want revival, it's an invitation to die. There's a death before a resurrection. There's a dying to self but before revival comes. And here's, here's what I'm saying in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brothers, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the problem with being a living sacrifice. You can choose to get up. You can actually choose to get up off the altar before the fire comes. And what, I, what I'm saying is this, is, is the Lord is inviting us into a place where dead things are coming alive. And what I'm saying is... Here's what's really important in this season. We cannot compare this move of God to a past move of God. We can't, even com we can't even compare other moves of God to what God wants to do in Life Center, what He wants to do in New York City. Why? Because if you start comparing, you'll start competing. And we already have enough people trying to out-testify, out-prophesy, out-sing other people. Here's what the Lord, He has something design that will actually that, that will actually release his glory and anointing in New York City. Can I can I tell you something? You cannot improve on the methods of Jesus. If you want true revival, I'm telling every pastor I know, I, I, I'm actually provoking them to just preach the gospel. Just, ju just, just preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just preach Jesus for the next 90 days, and it will transform your church. It'll transform your world. Can I tell you something? Jesus is the most culturally relevant, generationally relevant, relevant person who, who, who's ever walked the face of the earth. We don't even need to put him in skinny jeans and give him a latte. Like he's just relevant. He's, he's cool. I appreciate the way we're trying to connect and all of those things. But, but Jesus is timeless. His relevance, his truth, his love, his power transcends. Time and generations and, and geographies. 
and he actually knows how to love people. He actually knows how to make him, them himself irresistible. You cannot improve on the methods of Jesus, and you cannot improve on the presence of God. You bring people in the presence of God, something changes. I'm watching it happen all over the earth. Where people in alternative lifestyles, people in, in all kinds of craziness, they come in the presence of God, and God just meets them where they are, gives them a big old hug, and loves them to life. I'm watching people get saved in worship without even hearing a sermon. I'm watching people go, what is this? And you get to go, it's not what, it's who. Like, we're in a season of pursuit. But what does it look like to pursue what's pursuing you? It's collision. It's why 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. The problem is we flip it around. We, we pursue gifts while desiring love. And anytime you do that, it, it's out of order. Here's what I believe the invitation of the Lord is for the church in this season. He's inviting us to be, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is a season where you can't really predict him. You just get to enjoy and partner with him. The question the church is going to have to answer in this season is, what will we do with a God who's out of control? Who doesn't do it my way? Who comes as he is, not as I want him to be? I realize that there, there are aspects, there are attributes, there are personalities of God that I like more than others. I love the Lamb of God because the Lamb doesn't intimidate me. Bah, bah. I feel like I can put the, I feel like I can hold the Lamb. I feel like the Lamb is soft and white and, and fluffy and kind and cute. and Like I can carry Him. I, I know how to present myself to Him. But how many of the Lamb is also the Lion? And I can't approach the lion like I approach the lamb. So we're living in a season of deconstruction, right? Where everybody's deconstructing their faith. Over the last three years, I've gone through it myself in, in this sense. Not deconstructing, but walking away. But I've had to ask myself why I believe what I believe. I realized that a lot of what I believed, I believed because somebody told me. Which I don't think is all that bad. Except when people told me their opinion and not the truth. And what I've determined is this, that after the shaking, when everything shakes, there's an unshakable kingdom on the inside of me. And the way that I avoid the further shaking is that instead of being shaken, I, I just get stirred. It's kind of like James Bond. Right? Shaken or stirred. Right? It, it, it's the season where we, we've endured shaking and now the Lord's bringing us into stirring. He's saying, stir up the gifts, because what he's about to release to us isn't for us, it's for the world around us. I had a vision the other day where the Lord handed me two cups, and the cups were filled with oil. And all I know is I began to look at those, those white, they were kind of like you know, glasses like this, uh, just clear glasses, and they were filled with oil. And I went to drink the oil, and the Lord said, if you drink that, you're going to get sick, because that oil's not for you, it's for them. And what's happening is, is I believe the Lord is saying, hey, don't drink your oil. 
it's not for you. It's for the people around you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, I have all of those stories in the Bible are my favorite stories, but one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now there's a widow, she's a woman, a certain woman who is the widow or the wife, now the widow, of one of the servants of Elisha. He served the school of prophets, he served in the company of prophets with Elisha. He dies uh, and, and, and the family's somewhat in debt, and the debtors are coming to take her sons as slaves, take everything she has, and she's going to be out on her own. And, and she's provoked. She doesn't know what to do, but she knows that there's a blessing. There's a commanded blessing coming to her. And I think she goes to Elisha with a little bit of an attitude. I don't, I don't think she just approaches him like, hey, Mr. Elisha, prophet guy, you know, can, can you help me out here? I think she went with a little bit of chip on her shoulder like, hey, this isn't right. My family, my husband served you. He walked with you. He carried your Bible. He, you know, he, he did all the things he was supposed to do. Now he's dead. And now we're in debt. And, and, and the debtors are coming to, to actually take my sons as slaves. And, and I, I like Elisha's fashion. He's a true, true prophet. Well, what do you got in your house? Can you make me a sandwich? No, no, no. Like, like he, listen, she's coming to him for a miracle, but he wants her to see that there's a miracle in her house. Everything you need is in the house. You know, I tell my kids, if they want their inheritance, they have to go to church. Because their inheritance is in the house. David told Solomon, you want your inheritance? It's in the house. Because everything I have, you're going to build the temple with it. That's a great way to raise your kids. What's in your, what, what do you have in your house? I got one jar with a little bit of oil. He said, well, then go to your neighbors. Go wherever you need to, you and your sons. Go, go borrow as many as you can and don't just borrow a few. They get all the vessels, they bring them into a room, and he tells them to go in there and close the door. And when they closed the door, every vessel was filled to overflowing until there were no more vessels. Because the oil always flows behind closed doors. I want you to know that God is a sloppy pour because he doesn't measure, he pours. He doesn't measure, but he pours. And this is a season where, where the Lord, the Lord's hand of restraint. Can I tell you something? Here's what the hand, uh, the, the Lord's hand of restraint looks like. An open-handed blessing. I, I believe the Lord's changing the way we pray. Because I believe we've been praying to try to, to move the hand of God. Instead of actually knowing the heart of God and praying what, what Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father praying and interceding over us. How many know that's Revelation right there? Here's why Revelation's important. Here's why the next five weeks of, of going through the prophetic training and hearing God's voice is so important for, for those of us in this house and those of us visiting, those of us that are going to come and be a part of it. It's because Revelation sets you free from information. And the world has been on information overload. Over the last three years, we've been glued to these things. We've been glued to every notification, uh, every little ticker tape thing going across the news thing. How many cases of this and what this is happening in this war and those things. And we are an information overload. 
And here's what's happening. We've actually, we've actually been receiving false prophecies of agony, gloom, and despair. Jesus was very careful to say we should watch and pray. He didn't just say watch and he didn't just say, say pray. You, you should watch, see what, what's happening, and then, then you know what to pray for. Right? And the Lord's about to release this outpouring upon us that's going to release the winds of change across the earth. And don't you think for one second that God's going to overlook New York City? Haters are going to hate. Listen, I got a little chip on my shoulder because I'm from Chicago. And because of you, we get to be known as Second City. What moron? No, 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 no. Like, like a little chip on the shoulders, you know. Well, who's got the better? Who's got the better slice? I mean, you can believe what you want to, but I know the truth. That's what my wife told me that on our way to our honeymoon. I've never been able to win an argument since. She just says, "Do you believe what you want to?" But I know the truth. And, But, but the truth is this, when, when 9-11 happened, I remember I was, I was teaching school, I was assistant principal of a school, and the Lord said, the first day you can fly again, I want you to go to New York City and prophesy to dry bones. My whole ministry was launched because I stepped out in faith and obedience, and the Lord gave me a love for a city that was on fire, a city that was in a place, and I watched the Lord use out of that wreckage and out of that, the most difficult day in our nation and in this city, I watched the Lord step in and unify the church and begin to revive people in prayer meetings that were taking place. And can I tell you something? You don't need a disaster for that to happen again. You just need to lead by design and not default. Here, here's what's happening. The, the Lord is recalibrating the church because over the last three years, the church has tried to lead by default. We've tried to react and respond to everything the enemy was doing, everything that was happening over here. We're at, reacting and responding, and we're, we're, we're plugging the holes of the dam, and we're trying to hold back stuff and instead of actually ruling and reigning with God and, and realizing what's happening. What the enemy is doing is always an indicator. I always say it like this. If you want to know what God's about to do, look at what the enemy's trying to do. There's always a counterfeit before the promise comes. So when I watched three years ago a global pandemic, it, it, it showed me something, that God's about to release an outpouring of healing that's going to flow through the nations. That we're going to see the healing of nations. That we're going to see what Jesus promised when he said nations would be discipled in a day. In the midst where everybody was consumed by fear, it told me there was about to be an outpouring of perfect love. And I'm thankful for faith, but perfect faith doesn't cast out all fear, but perfect love does. So there's this revelation of the love of God that's being poured out. In the midst of all of the division and the racial divides and all of the tensions, it told me this, that there's about to be a movement of unity. That isn't just surface deep. It's not about me going to a church and, uh, and them coming to my church and having a, a chicken dinner and saying somehow we're reconciled. But, but it's actually sitting around the table. Here's how I believe the Lord's about to bring things together. And again, the church has tried to do it in very different ways. Sometimes we've had prophetic round tables, apostolic round tables. And what concerns me is that they're never round tables. Just like green rooms are never green. False advertising. (laughs) 
what I'm saying is this, is that the Lord's actually is calling us to sit around tables and not just in rows. That the Lord's restoring the family table of the body of Christ. I think it's one of those things that, 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 that's on Lou's heart. You, you heard him a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're partaking of it right now in, in, in this season of, of communion, this communion revival. It brings people to the table. If you, want, if you want to stay in the mind of Christ, you want to stay in sync with what God's doing, stay at the table. Yeah. You know what I love about the table? Look at me. I like to eat. <laughs> you don't get a body like this hanging out in a gym. This is this is forklifts. I was excited on my way to church today. I, I saw my gym. I'm a proud member of Planet Fitness. Every time I see one all over the world, just saw one last month in Australia, and I go, I belong. And they live up to their word. They, they live up to their slogan. It's a no judgment zone. I can testify that for the last seven years, I haven't, I haven't judged them for taking my $21.95 a month. And they haven't judged me for only showing up three times in seven years. And I keep the membership because I belong. It's true, by the way, sadly, sad but true. I have good intentions, but good intentions, as my wife said, don't pay the bills. Uh, so <laughs> that's a whole nother message. Here, there's a moral to that story, by the way. We all have a longing for belonging. We all want to know where we fit. We all want to know what we can connect to. And, and the reason I'm I'm, I'm sharing that and being a little bit funny this morning is because the church needs to laugh again. Yeah. We're, we're in a season where the, we're, we're going to enter into what David knew and he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Yeah. If he, had, if he needed, needed it restored, it's because he lost it somewhere. He lost it in circumstance, in battle, in situation, when people were bailing on him, when Absalom rose against him, when, 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 when Saul was out, out for his head, all of those things. And all of a sudden he had this awakening. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Why? Because the joy of the Lord's your strength. We've got to stop trying to be happy and start living joyful. We should be the happiest people on the planet because we are the people whose sins have been forgiven. Come on, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Right? Tell your face. Like, the church, if you want to see God move in New York City, do not walk through the streets of this city looking like you've been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> Don't give him no religious Pentecostal pucker. Bless God. <laughs> but walk through the street. Just smile on your face. Why are you so happy? I'm not happy. I'm just joyful. Happy is just a bright, it's just a symptom of being joyful. Listen, I, I tried to have a bad day once. I didn't like it. Well, when Jesus set me free of depression, can I tell you something? I've had some hard days, but I've not had another depressed day. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
and I'm not saying that sometimes it's not a process. Sometimes I actually have to choose joy. You know where we are in history or in what Jesus said? John 16 and 33. I have told you all these things. I've told you all of these things that were going to happen so that you might have peace. I told you all this stuff. Can I tell you something? Every day we act surprised. Another murder, another bomb, another financial crisis, another virus, another thing. And we're going, oh my goodness, what's happening? Jesus said, I told you all this stuff. I told you there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. I told you there's going to be famines, pestilence. I told you all this stuff. So when it happens, you don't get caught off guard. You don't, get, you, you don't head for the, the hills with soybeans. <laughs> we we got to stop being Holy Spirit streakers running around New York City with the helmet of salvation and nothing else. Don't picture that. It'll cause you to sin. Lord, heal their eyes. Lord, right now, just heal them of, of lust and envy. Lord, Lord, right now, just... Listen, let's, let's just admit it. You might not even like how I preach or what I'm going to prophesy, but you have to admit I'm easy on the eyes. Lord, thank you for sending a good-looking bad preacher to us today. Don't remember what he said, but man, was he hot. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and I'm beholding about 270 pounds right here. (laughs) Come back, Holy Spirit. If you're not having fun in church, you're probably not doing church right. Why, why, am I, why am I sharing this with you? Because the, the, the Lord is calling us to be fully dressed, full in wearing the whole armor of God, not, not just the helmet of salvation. Because if you just got the helmet of salvation on, when trouble comes, we start praying, Lord, get us out of here. That is not the New Testament disciple prayer. I, I like what Bill Johnson said. There's a big difference between Jesus coming on a rescue mission are coming to pick up his bride on their wedding day. He's not coming back for a beat up church. He's not even coming back for a successful church. He's coming back for a glorious, victorious church. Come on, his name, his name. Remember that song? Your name, your name is victory. He's Jehovah Nisi. He is your victory in every defeated place. He is your banner that when you feel like you're pressed on every side, he just begins to wave a flag over you. (coughs) That's why equipping is so important. Because you get equipped so you don't get whipped. Is it God because it rhymed? No, but the rhyme helps you remember it. Right? I've told you all these things were going to happen so that in me, you'll have peace. 
What's he saying? He's giving you a glimpse of Ephesians, that you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. So you're not praying for peace, you're praying from it. You're not praying for victory, you're praying from it because you're in him. You're not seated with, you're seated in. I used to think that I was seated with, and so Jesus had this big throne, I had the little toddler throne. I was like, hey, Jesus, really cool, what are you doing? I'm seated with you. No, you're, you're seated in me. You've been grafted in it. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, what he's saying is, I want to live inseparable with you. Oh, come on. You know what I just told you? It's good news. It's really good news. I told you all these things so that in me, you will have peace. For in this world, you will have tribulation. Trouble. Literally translated pressure. And here's the deal. We don't know what to do with pressure. But I'm thankful for pressure. I don't like it, but I'm thankful for it. Why? Because if that chair you're sitting on didn't endure pressure to be formed, it wouldn't be, be able to hold your weight. Nothing is created and nothing is birthed in the earth without pressure. Any moms in the room? How did you know when it was time to give birth? (laughs) Pressure. And I'm telling you, Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble, tribulation. You're going to have pressure. And when that pressure comes, here's what I want you to do. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. I want you to throw a party. I want you to rejoice. I don't want you to fret. I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to throw a pity party. I don't want you to wonder if, if this world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't want you to know all of that. I don't want you to go to the default mode of getting soybeans heading to the hills and, and trying to figure out how you're going to move to the Poconos to get out of this city and, and all of those things. Listen, do not move to Franklin, Tennessee. Because God wants to move in New York City. Do, do not leave your assignment. You were made for this. You were created for this. Jesus always comes in moments like this. The church is always built in moments like this. And you better stand your ground. You, you better stand your ground. Why? Because the wicked flee when nobody chases. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. I think sometimes we, we, we want boldness, but you know how you get boldness? You live right. You live so the enemy doesn't have anything on you. There's no entry point. There's no crack in the door. There's no way you can even open the window. And the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's a roar about to be released in this city. It is a roar of revelation. It is a roar of more. It is a roar of people knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. And you're going to begin to pray the prayer like they prayed in Acts chapter 4. When persecution came, they said, don't you dare pray in that name. Don't you dare speak in that name. Don't you dare uh, preach in that name. Don't you dare do anything in that name. You can do what you want to, but if you say that name, we're going to kill you. Persecution came. There were spies in every meeting. There were threats coming from all around. And they didn't say, Jesus, get us out of here. They said, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal that we might have boldness to preach the gospel. I think that's the kind of boldness that caused caused Stephen or Stephen to to be the first martyr. Remember the story? 
while he's still preaching, they start stoning him. And he never stops preaching. He might not even known what to do, so he just went back to what Jesus said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then he went to sleep. The Bible said he went to sleep. I don't, even th- I don't even think he felt the stone hitting him in the head. Is it going to be easy? Don't kid yourselves. I-, I was walking through some difficulties a few months ago. My mom went home to be with the Lord, and my brother went home to be with the Lord. Some friends of mine went home to be with the Lord. I've watched church splits. I've watched people that were spiritual kids to me just deconstruct and just go the other way. And I was, I was in this place where, man, it was just hard. And all of a sudden the Lord whispers, hard's not bad, it's just hard. And I go, well, I don't like that, but thank you. And then these amazing missionaries come up to me. And they pray for me before I'm supposed to speak at an Iris family gathering. And she whispers in my ear, God never promised you easy. He just promised faithful. I'll say it how she said it because she's from Mississippi. The Lord never promised you easy, but he did promise faithful. I need an interpretation for the tongue, right? So tongue, interpretation of tongue. Equal prophecy. But what truth, man. What an amazing word from God. He never promised me easy. He just promised he'd be faithful. And I feel the faithfulness of God in this room. Here, here's what I found. The Lord asked me a question recently. He said, when have, I any, when have I ever been anything but good? When have I ever been anything but faithful? When have I ever been anything but kind? And I had to look back through 51 years, and I found that even when I was bad, he was still good. Even when I was faithless, he was still faithful. Even when I was purposed in my heart that I'd be an enemy of God, he still called me his friend. What in the world? It's beyond. And the Lord's inviting us above and beyond to, to actually get above and beyond. I was sharing in first service that, that when I was flying out of Nashville on, on, on Friday to go to Indianapolis, that as we were going up, it had started raining and it was a low cloud cover and, and turbulence and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, we just kept going up. And all of a sudden, we got outside. We went up above the cloud ceiling. And there was no turbulence. And there was no cloud. And there was no rain. It was just a sunny sky. And the Lord is inviting us to live with our feet on the ground and our head above the clouds, to see above circumstances and situations. When Joshua and Caleb crossed the people over from, from uh, into the promised land, what did they find? What was in their promised land? It was a land flowing with milk and honey, but the same giants they feared and kept them out were still there. They, they just went in with the thought of victory and not failure. And I'm telling you right now that the Lord is about to do something amazing. Why? Because don't think for yourself. Don't think for one minute that a part of this billion soul harvest does not include 10 million New Yorkers. Don't you think for a minute 
that that's going to hit China and somehow God forgets New York. I'm telling you right now that you're a part of it. You're going to get caught up in it and you're going to see it. Is it going to look like Yankee Stadium packed? Maybe. Is it going to look like uh, a city stadium, a city field uh, packed? Maybe. But it's probably going to look like you winning one, you, you, you revealing Jesus. Don't despise the day and the hour that you live in. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Yeah. <coughs> I remember having a vision a few weeks ago. And in the vision, I saw this mass choir, and I saw them. They, they had the robes on. They had the and it, I could tell, I could see that they were singing, but I couldn't hear their song. And I said, Lord, what is it? And he said, I'm releasing the emergence of the unsung heroes. And I thought of people like this. How many know we've all pretty much all heard of Billy Graham? But have you ever heard of the guy who won Billy Graham to the Lord? There's a little evangelist who would go through the South doing what they called sawdust revivals. Sawdust on the ground, they would put up a tent. And he came to a little town in North Carolina. He preached his guts out the first night, nobody responded. Preaches guts out the second night, nobody responded. Preaches guts out the third night, nobody responded. On the fourth night, he preaches guts out. And one person gave their life to the Lord, and it was Billy Graham. And I'm sure, I'm sure glad that the guy didn't stop on the first night. I'm sure he didn't go by what he saw in the natural, but by what he heard in the spirit. And I'm telling you right now, don't, don't you think for a second that his, that his reward was any less than Billy Graham's reward. And I'm just saying to you right now in this moment that the Lord's bringing things into focus. He's healing us of distraction. He's getting us beyond seeing the impossibilities. And he, he's actually bringing us to, into a season where the impossible seems possible. He's bringing us into a season where we go, you know what? I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it to believe it. And here's what I, I love about the Lord is he will use whatever we have. What, he'll use whatever we give him. while back, the Lord asked me this question, consider the seed. So I thought about the seed. I thought of a mustard seed. I thought about a, a seed that you put in, the, in a garden. He goes, look at it. It's small. It's powerless. It's dormant. There's, it seems like there's no life in it. And you dig a trench or a hole, and you put the seed in the hole, and you cover it with something that's way heavier than it. You pack it down. Then you put water on it, and you drown it. And you plant it in utter, total, complete darkness. But when the appointed time, the power of the seed breaks through the heavy, it breaks through the darkness, and it, produce, it rises not above it, not just above it, but it actually produces fruit. And some of you have been in a season where you felt like you've been buried, but the Lord said you're about to break through. And this is going to be one of the most fruitful seasons of the church. It's going to be one of the most fruitful seasons of our life. I know many of you know Bob Hazlett, but I heard him say this the other day. And so if he comes here and says it, just act like you never heard it before. <laughs> but on the day of creation, the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. He put his face over it, and then he spoke, let there be light. You can find the face of God in the darkness. And where the face of God is, there's always light. 
He says it better than me, but I like the way I just said it because he didn't copyright it, okay? <laughs> but, but what I'm saying to you is this, is that there are moments like we're living in where God always shows up. Yeah. Doubt and unbelief doesn't push him back. A world in chaos doesn't push him back. He always shows up in chaos. He always creates out of chaos. And I'm telling you that we're stepping into one of the greatest moments of church history. There is a move of God greater than the day of Pentecost in scope. Why? Because there's more people carrying more light, carrying more power, carrying more of the Holy Spirit around the earth. And I'm just telling you right now that, that the Lord is, is, is releasing us from limitations and constrictions and confinement. That you, you need to see yourself rightly. And the only way you'll see yourself rightly is to see him, see him rightly. And that's high and lifted up. I'm telling you right now, I've never been filled with so much hope. Well, Dave, did you hear the news today? Nope, I didn't want to even look at it before I came to church. But I did see it yesterday. And I know that it's telling me something. God's about to do something great. There's a move of His Spirit coming to New York and in Chicago, and it's going to hit Los Angeles and all of those things. Why? I've told you all these things. So when it happens in me, you're going to have peace. In this life, in this world, you'll have trouble, you'll have tribulation, you'll have pressure. But be of good cheer, rejoice. Because I've overcome the world. Just think about that for a moment. The anointing of the overcomer, the anointing of the victorious one is coming upon us. And I believe right now in, in this midst, the Lord is saying to us, I, I want to use you to awaken the city and to the nations to the Father's love. It's time to expand and go beyond what you've ever dreamed possible in your lifetime. I've woken you up and I'm putting you on the cutting edge of the new thing I desire to do in this city. And I've stretched you out of your comfort zone and positioned you to host an end time move of my spirit that will turn the hearts of this city and even the nations to me. You've been chosen as an oasis to release a river of love, hope and healing in this city. Miracles are about to multiply in this place. Get ready to grow quickly, for I'm bringing you to the place of increase. I'm increasing you in both the natural and the spiritual realms. As you have been faithful to sow into others, I'm raising up others to sow back into you. This is a time of change and transition that will bring about the true transformation in the house and in the city. It's a time of expansion and expectancy. The countdown has begun, and you're about to be launched to a new season. This is the time for the church to rise and to see this region, nation, and the nations of the earth changed. This is going to be one of the most monumental, pivotal years of modern history. The earth is about to shake once again with the sound of my voice as the Father calls for his children. I'm once again calling for the nations to come back to me. Although these are dangerous days, do not let your faith be shaken or your hearts be troubled. I'm not absent or afar off. I'm on the throne, ruling and reigning. Nothing surprises me or catches me off guard. I'm bringing every plan and scheme of the enemy out into the open, and I will cause him to stumble right before your eyes. You're about to receive an anointing that frustrates and terrorizes hell. Do not be afraid. You will not be overcome because you are more than conquerors. For I've overcome the world. It's time to take new territory and go beyond every border of limitation, says the Spirit of the Lord. But listen, that, that's not just a word over you. That's a word to you. It's a word to us corporately, but it's also a word to us personally. That, that if we will actually receive it, you'll know how to operate in it. And, and I just believe right now that every one of you has a part to play.
Because the calling of God is true, it's sure. That, that, that the Lord desires that every member be a minister. Yes. That, that we're not consumer Christians. Yes. That we don't just come in to consume, but we actually come in consumed. Wow. Consumed by the fire of God, the presence of God. That anointing of Hebrews 10, our God is an all-consuming fire, is getting ready to come upon you. And I feel like the, the Lord's about to cause our hearts to burn. We heard, uh, we, we heard uh, uh, Rich exhort us today during communion when they were walking down the road uh, of uh, uh, the, the, the road to Emmaus and Jesus revealed himself and he, he broke the bread with them and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? The Lord's about to cause the heart to burn, the heart of the church to burn again. There's a new season that Tums and Rolades can't put out, right? It's, oh my lanta, right? It's, My dad jokes were always good. Now my grandpa jokes are off the charts. Come on. <laughs> I, I believe the hand of the Lord's coming to just unlock treasure chests and treasure troves of the kingdom of God. My mom went home to be with the Lord. And before she did, she had this encounter with God I was sharing in the first service. And uh, my mom's testimony, she knew the Lord her whole life. Beautiful story. And, um, and she was a woman of, of prayer. She wasn't charismatic by, by, by any means. Uh, she got filled with the Holy Spirit and, uh, and a church in Indiana that I was preaching at when she came to visit me. And uh, that was after she heckled me, so God got her good. Um, I don't know. See, you think you're persecuted, but I've been heckled by my mother. Um, and uh, in, in, in Dutch reform tradition, when the preacher gets up to, to, to speak, they would, they, uh, the congregation would put a Wilhelmina mint, a big mint, in their mouth. And by the t when the mint was gone, the preacher should be done. And... I was preaching on a Sunday morning, and she should have came to first service instead of second. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I said something kind of cheeky and funny uh, towards her, and she said, David, I'm on my second mint. Uh, and <laughs> do not do that to Pastor Bill or any of the other pastors. It's, um, and, 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 and the Lord just filled her. So she was this spirit-filled woman, but she was kind. She was humble. She was sweet. It's so powerful. And I remember when she was facing death, she got the cancer diagnosis. And I said, Mom, are you afraid? She said, why would I be afraid? She said, all my days were written in a book before the foundation of the earth. And the devil's not big enough to interrupt it or, or end the book early. Cancer's not big enough to interrupt it or end it early. I won't go home until all the, I get to the last word in the period in the book of my life. And then my life begins. She was living towards eternity, present in the moment, but living with eyes fixed on eternity. As it progressed, she tried to do some treatments, and it was really kind of um, not great for her quality of life. She said, I don't want to do this. And sickness came, and we were in and out of hospital for a little bit. And I had the great privilege of taking care of my mom for the last two weeks of her life. Some of the most holy moments. I never understood the scripture in Ecclesiastes. It says the day you die is greater than the day you were born. It always perplexed me until those last two weeks. And I watched my mom have encounters with God. Like One night she drew me close. She had this deep-seated revelation. She said, David, Jesus just came to me in a dream and 
I need to tell you something. So I came over by her and she said, I'm expecting some real deep revelation. She goes, spiritual warfare is real. And I go, I know it's real, Mom. Don't you remember the psych ward? Don't you remember the suit? Like, she's like, no, no, no. You need to know the reason why spiritual warfare is real. She said, it's said of me that my generation is the greatest generation that ever lived, the World War II, Great Depression era generation. She said, that may have been true up till now. But the greatest generation is just being born and into their 30s. It's why the enemy hates them so much. It's why he's trying to wipe them out in the womb because he knows once they get a revelation of who Jesus is and they understand their identity, it's why the identity crisis, it's why all of this stuff that's taking place is because once, he, once they get free, he knows the damage they're going to do to his kingdom. She said, the Lord showed me the power of his blood. Just one drop, there's still power in the blood. And just one drop of his blood still covers a multitude of sins. She said, I saw it. Jesus released one drop. I saw it cover the whole earth. She said, you need to tell the church that there's a calling that, that he's putting on everyone. It's to cover the earth. And she began to quote uh, Habakkuk 2 and 14. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It was powerful. And there would be these moments where I'd take care of her in the midst of it. Uh, in the middle of the night, it's at times, sometimes it would be during the day, a lot at night. All of a sudden, I'd hear my mom going, oh! and I thought she was leaving. You know, and I'd go running to her. Mom, are you okay? You seen Jesus, seen angels? And she goes, no, I was just sitting here thinking, at any moment, I'm about to see his face. I don't know that she ever heard the Dom Potter song. But I think she, she knew the truth of it. Show me your face, God. Show me your face. I can make it to the end if I could just see your face. And I don't just believe that was her story in death. I believe it was what she was doing was releasing a prophetic clarion call. She was releasing a prophetic word to me and to the church. That that expectation is coming back into the house of God. It's coming back into our personal lives. That at any moment, he wants to take our breath away and go, oh, Can you imagine? That at any moment, we're about to see his face. It's what's happened in Asbury. It's what's happened in, in, in little colleges all around. And don't you think for a moment that he wouldn't do it at NYU, that he wouldn't do it at Columbia, that he wouldn't do it at SUNY, that he wouldn't do it in, uh, in, in Nyack College. Don't you think for a moment that he wouldn't do it in this region? Why? He's no respecter of persons. And I'm telling you right now, what a great opportunity in this place where every nation on the, on the planet is, 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 is gathered in one place. Is it by accident? Is it for the American dream or is it for the kingdom dream? That the spirit of God would move and revival would come and he would raise up missionaries to go back to, to all the corners of the earth and the, and the unreached people groups. And I'm telling you right now that these aren't hard times, it's harvest times. And we got to quit focus on hard times and start focusing on harvest times. Yeah. Let me say it again. Don't focus on the hard time. Focus on the harvest time. I'm telling you, we keep waiting for what we already have. You know how you drive a kid crazy at Christmas? On Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, you put up a Christmas tree. You go Black, you go black Friday shopping. Or have it delivered to you on Amazon. Right? You wrap it up. You put big bows on it. You write their name in big bold letters. And for the next 30 days you say you can look but you can't touch. 
And I feel like that's the position of the church. We have all of these gifts. And maybe religion's told us they're not for today, and so you can look, but you can't touch. Maybe we've explored them sometimes, but maybe we got a little disappointed when something didn't happen, so we just put it on the shelf and go, I'm going to look, but I'm not going to touch. I feel there's, the Lord is asking us not to neglect the gift, not to neglect the time, not to neglect the, 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 the treasure that he's put in earthen vessels. It's time to unwrap the gifts. Here's what I began to cry out Wednesday at a staff meeting in a church I was in. We're going to cry out, Lord Jesus, I want you more than revival. I want you more than an outpouring. I want you more than healing. I want you more than breakthrough. I want you more than prophecy. I want you more than any of those things. And here's what I believe. If we're not careful, we'll chase the wind instead of his heart. If you have his heart, you have revival. If you have his heart, I'm not saying that, uh, that, that something phenomenal is not about to happen. It is, and it, it's happening already. But can I tell you something? Let the Lord recalibrate your eyes and your heart and your ears. Don't compare, because if you start comparing, you'll start competing. There is a love revival about to hit through the earth. There's a love-starved generation. There's a love-starved generation. Love sick, love starved. There's this young man um, who grew up with my wife, and my wife was the oldest in her family. And this kid Josh would, his name was Josh Elder, and he would walk my my wife when she was little to the bus stop and made sure that she got on the bus and made sure she got off the bus. And they, they just had this friendship and in life. Josh began to struggle with addictions and bipolar and different things. And, and one night he was super high. We were leaving my in-law's house and getting the kids in the car. And he came running in on his bike, high as a kite. And he just wanted to start arguing. And he found out I was a preacher. And so, you know, he just started taking jabs at me. And I started talking to him. And the kid knew the Bible. Like, he, he knew things. And. I would say something, he'd throw something back. For three hours, he was trying to get me to walk away from him. He was trying to get me to hate him. He was trying to get me to hit him. He was trying to get me to, he's like, don't you just want to hit me right now? Inside, I said yes, but I was happy and I knew it, so I let my face show it. He was just trying to provoke. He was trying all of those things. And I realized in that moment, the Lord said, That's not anger. That's not doubt. That's not unbelief. That's not addiction. That's not mental illness. That's a birth pain. I think what we're calling persecution these days is just birth pains. People in pain don't care about you. They just want to be out of pain. People get mad when I say it. I'm not saying it flippantly. I'm very compassionate. I have a lot of mercy. 
I know what it's like to live in pain. I'm not underestimating that. I'm not denying that. But the only thing you can think about when you're in pain is you want to get out of pain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and Josh was just there, and I just kept saying, Josh, you can say what you want to. You can hit me. You can whatever you want to do. I'm just going to love you. And after about three and a half hours, he said, I could find cracks in your theology. I can find where you misquoted scripture. I, I could argue with points you were making. But one thing I can't argue with is love. And he gave his life to the Lord that night. And a few months later, he was riding his bike. He was free. He was off of drugs. But he hit some kind of pothole riding his bike, and he went over the handlebars. Cracked his skull, and he passed away. And I got the privilege, the honor of preaching his funeral. That argument, that conversation happened on a Friday night. On Sunday, he came with me to to church, to the night service. We had another prophetic guy speaking. And worship was going, and it was the shout to the Lord days. And the worship team was done, and everybody was sitting down, but not Josh. Josh had his hands lifted like he was the only one in the room. And he just kept singing until the whole world started singing again with him. Not the world, but the room. And the other prophetic guy got up, and he, he just started being short with folks and just kind of being judgmental and critical. And Josh starts screaming, where's the love? Where's the love? Love never fails. Love never fails. Without it, my prophecies are crashing symbols. Love never fails. It never fails. It never fails. When you don't know what to do, love people well. Every human being deserves love. Every human being deserves honor. Even if they're acting dishonorably. Here's why they deserve honor. Because they were created in the image of God just like you. They just haven't discovered it yet. It's why racism is so awful. It's because we're saying that one shade of color is better than the other. And I'm saying, I'm saying to you is that, that, that if we will walk in love and honor, the Lord knows how to take care of all the theology stuff. I'm not trying to get off of things, but, but somebody needs to hear this today. You know what one may love one may. I credit the, my, the prayers of my mom, but it was her love and the love of God that shone through all of it. That's why I would pray, God, if you can love me when I can't love myself, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. That's why I'm here, because I know what works for me. And I've watched it work for thousands and thousands of people all around the world. And I'm telling you that the love of God's about to be poured out in Manhattan. I have a nickname for Manhattan. I call it Manhattan the Miraculous. Miraculous Manhattan. I believe right here in the financial district, all of that, it's not just going to be financial, but it's going to be the faith district. The foundation of the Father is going to be poured out here. I believe there's breakthrough coming in Brooklyn. I believe there's going to be a blowout anointing moves of the Spirit in the Bronx. I believe the Lord's about to stretch out His hand and His love over Staten Island. 
I believe the Lord is about to reveal his heart, his love of the King of Kings over Queens. I believe the Lord will move on Long Island. I believe he'll move in Westchester. I believe he'll move all around this area, over even into New Jersey. How about that? Right? You better love Sal. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. I'm just telling you right now, the most powerful force in the earth is the love of God. I think it was, you know what? I'll end with this. Maybe not. Yeah, I will. You know what I loved about this morning? I loved everything about this morning. But I love when she got up after communion, started singing, Jesus loves me. Here's why I really love it. It's last Sunday. Last Saturday night, I got home really late after some meetings and engagements. Drove home, got in about 1 in the morning, had to preach at another church in town um, at 10. and I was tired, you know. I was laying. I woke up with the alarm, went back to sleep. And I woke up in kind of that twilight sleep. And I felt kisses on my head. And I realized they were the kisses of the Lord. Lord, thanks for your affection. Thanks for your presence. I said, why? Why am I feeling this today? He said, because I want you to keep it simple, son. And I realized something. I can't improve on John 3.16. I can't improve on the message of Jesus that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I can't improve on it. I try. I've tried to, to come up with three points in a poem to move people. And it don't. And I'm telling you right now, the love of God. Come on, there's an anointing again. About to hit the burrows. There's a, the, an anointing again. There's a next season of the Lord pouring out. Like when David Wilkerson met a Nikki Cruz. There's another move getting ready to take place and you get to be a part of it you're on the front edge of it are you hearing me but we can't make a monument to it we can enjoy it we can be a part of it but we've got to release it here's where I'll end we're in that now season where the Holy Spirit is falling we're we're navigating the afterwards and after the pandemic, and after all the rioting, and after all of the, the stuff, and now we're in the afterwards, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And when it happens, don't you dare try to create the market on revival. People can come and see, but sooner or later, they got to go and be. Right? They spill out into the streets. Now empowered with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up. People of Jerusalem. Starts preaching. Everyone goes, look at these people. They're drunk with wine. They're they're, they're crazy, all of that. And Peter said, people of Jerusalem, it's not as you suppose. It's not like you think. We're not drunk on wine. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was prophesied. New York City, Life Center Church. Welcome to this is that which was prophesied. There were words spoken where there were just a few keeping the fire on the altar. 
at Justice House of Prayer. When there was just a few, you knew that God lit the fire, but somebody had to maintain it. There are embers. There are embers from Brownsville and Pensacola. There's embers from Toronto. There's embers from Lakeland. There's embers. And the Lord's about to take the embers and cause you to fan them back into flame. telling you right now the fire never went out the fire never went out the Lord's looking for keepers of the flame he's looking for people who linger there's a Joshua son of Nun anointing it's what happened last Sunday till 9 o'clock at night When the pastors left the building. When other people had to leave the building. It's not about who's here as long as he's here. Amen. There were some that said Joshua the son of Nun. And Joshua the son of Nun refused to leave the tent of meeting even after Moses had left. It's not about your position in the church. It's about the posture of your heart. And I feel the Lord reposturing our hearts in this season. Come on, I'm not just shared stories and testimonies today. I believe I've given you a prophetic word for the last hour and 25 minutes or so. What you've been waiting for is here. The moment you've been waiting for is upon you. The Lord's taking us from the waiting room to the delivery room. From the waiting room to the delivery room. From the waiting room to the delivery room. The pressure's on. Because God's about to birth something. He's about to birth something in you. He's about to birth something in me. And the beautiful thing about what's happening right now, it's not exclusive, it's all inclusive. I'm thankful for what he's doing in Gen Z. They need it. They're contending for it. I want to see it happen. I want to celebrate it. But he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I, I would tell you this, that I don't just believe there's a three-generational move of the Spirit. I believe there's a five-generational move of the Spirit of God flowing in the earth right now. That it's going to be great-grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, and kids. There's going to be a five-generation move of the Spirit of God. Lord, let it be in New York City. Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, we're redigging wells. Lord, I thank you for the redigging of the wells. Lord, I know it's a part of the culture and a core value of this house. But, Lord, I thank you for digging wells that have never been dug before. Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit on this beautiful city. Lord, when you look at New York City, you got mercy on your mind. Amen. You got mercy on your mind. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the mercy and the miracles and the miracles coming out of the messes. Yes. Lord, I thank you right now for the miracles coming to the masses out of the messes. Lord, would you just release an outpouring of your grace, your goodness. Lord, we want to steward it. We want to host you. Lord, I thank you right now, Lord, for, for uh, what you're doing. We hope you enjoyed the message. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.